My name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to turn it to John chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, we always have some Bibles available in the seat either underneath you or in front of you there. I think you're really going to enjoy this story, so if you can get your hand on one of those, I encourage you to do that. You can find it on page 741 in those provided black Bibles. In fact, if you don't own your own Bible, we want to give that to you this morning as a gift. You can take that home with you. There once was a king who asked the question that every single human being has asked, and if you haven't asked it yet, you will one day, which is, what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of all this we have going on around us? Now, because this king had the resources to go ahead and try and find out, he went for it. He went for everything that this world had to offer. He made gobs of money. He built incredible palaces and mansions. He had unbridled sexual encounters. There were no limits. He drank the best wine and lots of it. He had the best food. He went on the greatest vacations ever. And yet at the end of his life, this king whose name is Solomon writes these words in his journal, which we also know as the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I denied myself nothing that I desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Fast forward about 3,000 years, and a British rock group called the Rolling Stones comes out with a number one hit song called I can't get no satisfaction. Same message as Ecclesiastes. 3,000 years later. Some things never change. Friends, for as long as humans have existed, we have been searching for meaning. We've been searching for satisfaction, but like the Rolling Stones and like Solomon discovered, pursuing the things of this world that we think are going to satisfy us ultimately only leaves us empty. This morning on this Easter Sunday, I want to talk with you about where true satisfaction comes from. And to do that, I want to introduce you to a woman in the Bible who in terms of her lifestyle, in terms of her spiritual needs, in terms of her emotional pain, is just as contemporary and relevant as any 21st century American living today. Like Solomon and the Rolling Stones and so many of us, she is searching for something in her life to fill the void. And yet she's going to discover that there is only one thing. There is only one source that we can find satisfaction from. So if you're ready, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says this. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord, speaking of Jesus, learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more To Galilee. Now, without getting into too much detail here, the idea is that Jesus and John, speaking of John the Baptist, were ministering in the same area. They had the same message, they were speaking the same message, and yet the Pharisees were told were trying to kind of raise up a little bit of a dispute between them. I like this passage because it reminds us that we're not competing against other churches in this city. In fact, that's why we pray for another church every week here in our, in our church services, right? That's why Jeff just did that. We got the same message, just like John and Jesus did. 
We're all trying to reach people with the same good news. And so Jesus, he doesn't want any part of this competition idea. So he decides, I'm just going to leave this area. I'm going to head up north to Galilee. Now, notice what John writes in verse 4, which to me is one of the more interesting verses in this story. In fact, if you have your notes, sometimes we use notes here. Would you read verse 4 out loud with me on your notes there? It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, in my Bible, I have those words had to circled. Because technically speaking, physically speaking, that's not actually true. Jesus did not have to travel through Samaria in order to get to Galilee. In fact, at this time, no good Jewish person would ever consider setting foot in Samaria because Jewish people hated Samaritan people. And they thought that just by stepping foot into their country, they would become contaminated. Now, why all this hatred for one another? Because the feelings were mutual. Well, to understand that, you've got to go all the way back in history to the year 722 B.C. When Israel was first made a nation, it didn't take long for the nation to split into two, right? There became the northern kingdom, and there became the southern kingdom of Israel. In 722 B.C., the Assyrian Empire came, and they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. And the way they did that is they would come into a territory and they would remove all the people who lived there and place them somewhere else throughout uh, the empire that they ran. And then they would bring their own people and move them into the place that they had conquered. Well, eventually the Assyrian Empire fell, but these Jewish people who had been scattered all throughout the world began to move back to their home where these Assyrians were living. And they began to intermarry with them, which was like a big no-no for Jewish people, Right? In fact, the southern kingdom, which had not been destroyed by the Assyrians, began to look down on the Samaritans, which is what they began to be called, as second-class citizens. Add on top of that, the Samaritans began to teach that only the first five books of the Old Testament were what were authoritative. So they only listened to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they pretty much did away with the rest. Add on top of that, you know, the temple where the people were to come and gather and worship— They decided to build their own because that was in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. And so they built one in the northern kingdom. So many years go by. You can imagine the kind of animosity and hatred that begins to grow between these two people. There's no way that a Jew would ever set foot in Samaria unless they were forced to. In fact, I just want to show you how extreme this is. Look at this map up here. It says Jesus and John were ministering down in this area in Judea. A typical Jewish person would have taken that black arrow route. They would have gone as far around as possible from Samaria as they could in order to get to Galilee. But John tells us Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now if Jesus didn't technically or physically have to go through Samaria, what is John trying to tell us here? There's a spiritual reason. There's an encounter that he has to have with someone. You see, Jesus came because he had to break down the barriers that we so often erect as human beings among one another, between each other. He had to go through Samaria to show that his message is for everyone, including Samaritans. Verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and by the way, it's still there. After 23 centuries, it's still a tourist attraction. It actually, I believe, still works. You could go visit it. Here's a picture of Jacob's well. 
Now, why bother sharing this with you that this is still there? Because I want us to remember we're talking about actual places, actual events in history. When we celebrate the resurrection, we're not celebrating a fairy tale. We're celebrating events that really took place historically. And this well is here. Jesus sits down by it and it says, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, fully God, the one we worship today as the resurrected one who has power over the grave, we just sang about it, is tired. Why? Because he took on human flesh. Because he became completely like us. The rest of verse 6 says is it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour in Jewish reckoning is noon, which is the hottest part of the day in, these, in this country. So this well would have been a pretty lonely spot because most of the activity that took place around the well happened in the evening time when it was cooler. The women of that culture would come out to the well at about 6 o'clock in the evening and they would draw water together. So listen, nobody comes to the well at noon unless they don't want to be seen. If this were a movie, that would be called foreshadowing. Because look at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Two important details to note here. Don't miss this. First, she came when? When nobody else would be there. As I just mentioned, women generally came to the well in groups in the evening, not only to share in the labor of drawing the water, but this was a chance for them to socialize. I don't know what a 21st century equivalent is other than men. We've always been mystified by the fact that women go to the bathroom in packs, right? Like, what is that all about? Well, it's about socializing. And these women would gather at this well about six o'clock to socialize. But this woman, she didn't want to be seen by the other women in this town. Don't miss that. The second important detail in his question is that Jesus breaks just about every social rule of his time, right? First of all, a rabbi, which is what Jesus was, a teacher, would never publicly speak to a woman. Secondly, as we just discovered, a Jew would never speak to a Samaritan. And third, worst of all, a Jewish person would never in a million years dream of drinking from the same cup that a Samaritan woman had drinking from. And yet, here is Jesus saying, hey, would you give me a drink? As Jesus so often does, as we've been learning in our series in the Gospel of Luke, he loves shattering barriers, doesn't he? He loves shattering these walls that we create as human beings between each other. And he does it again. Obviously, this doesn't go unnoticed by this woman. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Uh, you're a Jew. Okay, the uh isn't there, but that's how I picture it. You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John, very helpful, says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Her question is in effect like, what are you doing? What in the world do you think you're doing right now? Don't you know the rules of our society? Don't you know that you're not supposed to speak to a woman? Don't you know that Jews and Samaritans aren't supposed to interact with one another? You can't just overcome centuries of barriers like this. Now again, let's remember this woman is hiding from something. She's running from something. She's here at noon. I personally think, because as we get a little bit more into this text, she's been hardened by life. She's got a little of an edge to her. I've always imagined when I read this story, you remember the old TV show Cheers? I always have imagined her like Carla from Cheers. Like she just got a little toot, right? 
That's who I think of when I think of this woman. She's got an edge. She's got an attitude. But Jesus is patient with her. And here we get the first clue as to why he had to travel through Samaria. Would you read verse 10 out loud on your notes there? It says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water is a phrase used in Jesus' time simply meaning for us today running water. Water that flows, water from a stream or a river, not water that just sits around in a pool or at the bottom of a well all day, not stagnant water. I was on a walk this last week and I came across this this thing. I just have to take a picture of this. That is not living water. That's called stagnant water, right? And you would never take a drink from that stagnant water. Now again, in this kind of sarcastic, Carla-like tone, look at her reply in verses 11 and 12. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Translated, you must really think you're something special, buddy. You got access to all this water that I don't know about? Where are you going to get it? You don't even have a cup. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks, and I imagine him pointing at the well right now, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What this woman does not realize is that Jesus is not talking about H2O right now. He's not talking about physical water. He's using the image of living water, water that flows to describe the kind of life that is available for her right now in him. In these words, he is addressing the root human problem. Solomon felt it. The Rolling Stones felt it. This woman at the well felt it. Most of us in this room have at one time felt it. We simply cannot find satisfaction in the stagnant waters that this world offers us. It will only leave us thirsty for more. But any who come to me, Jesus says, you'll never need to look outside of yourself again for satisfaction. Satisfaction will come from a transformation, he says, that will take place from within your life as I take up residence there. Thought of a way to illustrate that this, this Easter. So many of us think that there's something in this world that we're ultimately going to be satisfied by. And so we spend all of our time pursuing that thing. It might be different for every one of us. It probably is. But for example, we live in America, right? And we're told from an early, very early age, the thing that's going to satisfy you is the American dream. Large house, white picket fence, dog, no cats. <laughs> Two and a half kids. Perfect. And so we spend all our life going for it. This is the thing that's really going to satisfy me. And so I work my tail off. I save. I buy. I do all this stuff in order to get to the American dream. And then I get to the end of my life. And I think, is this it? Maybe it's not the American dream for all of us, but we all have at one time searched for something, right? 
Maybe it's food or drink. If I can just eat that thing or if I can just have more of that drink, that's the thing that's going to satisfy me. Maybe it's popularity. I know there's many students in this room right now. Like, yeah, if you're just popular, that's the thing that's ultimately going to really do it for you. You'll be satisfied once and for all, right? Uh, No. You'll need more of something. It'll just leave you empty. What about vacations? I like vacations. Sometimes I put a lot of stock in vacations. I think this vacation is really going to be the thing. I'm going to be refreshed. I'm going to be a new man. And I get back from my vacation, I need another vacation. (laughs) What about status? That job, the corner office, the promotion. I'm working on my doctorate right now. Right? I'm, I'm getting close. When I am officially called Dr. Steve, I am going to be satisfied once and for all. Or maybe not. How about relationships? If I could just be with her, or if I could just be with him, that would satisfy me. Or how about this one? This is one I chased after early in my life. What about religion? If I am just good enough, right? If I just do enough good things for God, if I'm just obedient enough, that's going to satisfy me. That's going to fill up my heart. And you know what I discovered as we've been learning here? You, many of you have as well. It just leaves me empty. It just leaves me searching for more. Now listen, I want to say something important. None of the things I just mentioned there, except for the religion one, are bad in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with going on a vacation. Don't leave here on Easter Sunday going, oh, I can never go on a, no. What we're dealing with here is when we look at the waters of this world as the thing that's going to fill the void in my life. All of us have done it. And all of us have found the waters of this world wanting. Have you learned that yet? I know there's a lot of young people in here. You're thinking, this guy has no idea what he's talking about. I'm 39 years old, about to be 40 this June. There would have been a time when I would have listened to a message just like that, and I would have been sitting where you are going, that guy doesn't know. This is just religious babble. Because he doesn't know if I have that relationship, what it's going to be like, or if I can purchase this thing, that's going to be the thing that's really going to do it for me. Almost 40 years later, I've tried it. And it's left me wanting. And I've sat across the desk as a pastor from so many people who have done the same. And they're empty. And they know it. Jesus comes to this woman and said, you keep drinking from that water. It's gonna leave you empty. Because those waters can never satisfy you. Back to our stories. The woman still doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. In verse 15 she says, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So I don't have to keep coming at noon every single day to avoid the stares of all the people. Verse 16, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Woo, getting a little personal now, isn't it? Now, I want you to notice something incredibly important here. Jesus does not condemn her, nor does he shame her. He merely states a truth and lets it stand on its own. In fact, what he's doing here 
is confronting her with the central problem of her life. You see, she has tried to fill the void of her life with relationships with men. We don't know why. Maybe out of loneliness, we're not sure, but Jesus is simply showing her, lifting up her a mirror to her face saying, has this satisfied you? Have you found contentment and fulfillment in these relationships, or have they only left you more empty? Of course, the question is, why is Jesus doing this? Is he being harsh to her here? Is he being cruel? No, he's being the very definition of love, isn't he? He is speaking truth and grace to this woman because he understands until we turn away from the waters of this world, we can't drink from the living water which is found in Christ. The Bible tells us that if we want to experience living water flowing in our lives, if we want satisfaction, then you got to first deal with the things that keep you stuck. Those things that you keep chasing after, those waters of the world, this is called repentance. Now, I know we don't like that word today. Some of you just look down like, oh, here we go. Because when we think of the word repentance, we think of guys on street corners saying, the end of the world's coming, repent, right? It's like a negative word. It's become this negative word. But can I encourage you to change your mind about repentance this Easter? Repentance is one of the most positive words we could ever be given. It is a gift from God. It simply means, simply, in its true form, means I'm going to turn away from these things I know are not going to satisfy me. I'm going to turn away from pursuing my desires, from making myself the king of my life. Because that has left me empty. And I am going to turn towards the one who offered his life for me. The one we celebrate this morning. It means I've gone my own way. I admit that. I've gone after the waters of this world. And it's left me empty. Maybe an illustration is helpful here. Have to get the hose corked back into the, the water system. You know, over winter, you can't have your hose plugged in, otherwise it'll ruin the hose. So I did that because I had to water some stuff because spring is here. Yay! And I went to turn on the hose, and nothing happened. And so, of course, what I, what I have to do, I have to unroll the entire hose, which is such a pain. And sure enough, I found the reason that it wasn't flowing is because there was a knot in the hose. So what do I have to do if I want water to flow in my hose? I got to untie the knot. Can I suggest that's all repentance really is? It's just untying the knots in our lives so that the water, the living water that Christ makes available to us can flow freely. freely. Listen, if you want to take Jesus up on his offer for living water, running water, pure water, bubbling up inside of you, you got to get rid of the knots. I love how Peter put it. He put it this way in Acts 3.19. He says, repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Why does he want us to repent? So, because God is mad at us, because he doesn't want us to have any fun in life. No, because he understands that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That the water may flow freely in and through us. For whatever reason, this woman had a thirst for love and acceptance which had never been quenched. She couldn't find satisfaction in her relationships, even though she kept trying. Now, maybe it's not relationships for you. Maybe it is. Maybe it's something else I mentioned. Maybe it's something I couldn't even mention. I could give hundreds of examples, but all of us are seeking satisfaction from somewhere. But the offer Jesus gives us is all you really need 
is standing right in front of you, in me. That's what he's saying to this woman. Back to our story. Well, Jesus is getting a little personal now. What do you do when somebody getting a little too personal in your life? You change the subject, which is exactly what she does. Look at verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You just told me everything about my life. I can see that you're a prophet. Yes, you are. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. There is so much packed in these verses, but that's a message for another day, and I know you're glad about that. Can I just sum it all up? Jesus is essentially saying worship is no longer about a place. It's not about a temple. It's not about a mountain. It's not about church buildings. Worship is about the heart. It's about what's going right here, going on right here for you. It's about spirit. It's about your spirit connecting to the Holy Spirit of God. And it's about truth. The truth we find in the word of God that he's given as a gift to us. And speaking of the truth, let's get back to our discussion about living water, shall we? Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Again, she's trying to avoid the real issue, right? Someday, sometime, I'll find out all the answers. And don't we still say that today? When I'm 70, maybe I'll think about this stuff. Now, I wish I could have been there to hear what Jesus says next to this woman. I just get chills every time I hear these words. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. What's he saying here? He's saying that everything you have been searching for is standing right in front of you. Are you tired of drinking the stagnant water that never satisfies in your life? Then no, I can satisfy you right now with living water. Friends, this message is just as applicable on March 27, 2016 as it was in the first century for this Samaritan woman. Jesus comes and says to us this morning, do you know that only I can fill your empty heart? Do you know that you were made to do life not apart from me, but with me? Without me, you're going to be ever searching, but never satisfied. And the good news of Easter is that in Jesus' death and in his resurrection, he has actually made it possible for all people to come to God to know him, to have a relationship with him, to be filled with living water, which is his very presence. Later in John, Jesus would say these words I have printed on your notes there. And can I just share with you these, this verse right here personally is the verse that finally convinced me what Jesus really wanted in my life wasn't more obedience or more religion or more play acting. He really wanted the best possible life for me. He wanted joy and peace and contentment for me. Could you read these words out loud? It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translations say abundant life. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate Easter. If you're following on your notes there, Jesus offers life to the full. Life that satisfies 
And his invitation is open to anyone who is thirsty. Come. His invitation is all throughout scripture. In fact, some of the very last words of the Bible say this in Revelation 22. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I gotta ask you this morning as I close, do you hear his invitation to you as a personal invitation? Come. If you knew the gift of God and who it was who is sitting on this well with you, you'd ask him for a drink. And he will give you living water. Will you receive his invitation this Easter? I'm so excited to introduce you to a couple of friends of mine. Their names are just happen to both be Brian. You're not going to see them physically. They're going to be in a video here. These guys got baptized several weeks ago, and we were just sort of like amazed at how their story is exactly like this Samaritan woman's story. And we thought, we really need to hear this message today. And so I want you to take a look at this video and just see how the living water is still available and is still changing lives today. Before Christ, I successfully sabotaged every relationship, including my marriage and my relationship with God. Before Christ, I was so wrapped up in myself that I didn't have room for anyone else. Well, Brian, you you said before Christ, your life was wrapped up in yourself and you grew up going to church, but you you fell away from that. Tell me what that looked like. Yeah, and I I grew up in church, but when I got to high school, I started pulling away. And by the time I graduated high school, I was going my own way. And I I took that partying lifestyle that I had in my late teens and early 20s and just kept right on going with it. And I worked and I grew professionally, but I lived an immoral, profane life that didn't have any rules except man-made ones. And my philosophy was, as long as I'm not forcing someone to live the way I do, then what was the harm? You know, who was I really hurting? And the reality was, I was hurting myself and everyone around me. And, you know, that was really evidenced by my personal life that was stained with divorce and failed relationships. Looking back on it now, I realized that my heart had become hardened because myself had become a full-time job. Brian, I I know you can resonate with that because for you it was a hard issue as well. It was, absolutely. You know, the world kind of revolved around me, I guess. um, I was very self-centered, looking for, you know, joy in the things of the world and and buying stuff and smoking and drinking. um, You know, what tool am I going to buy? tractors and boats and you know motorcycles that kind of stuff and yeah I was looking in all the wrong spots really and, and uh, you know in the end I just ended up with a shed full of stuff yeah always seeking never fulfilled absolutely yeah. It was, yeah I can totally relate to that I mean if I go here I'll be happy if I buy that I'll be happy if I'm yeah. with this person I'll be happy yeah. if I drink that I'll be happy yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate so one night a, a thought comes to your mind. This is only God. You're sitting on your couch and you think to yourself, I've got to go read Genesis. Yeah, I'm I'm at home watching TV and it just comes in my mind, read Genesis. So I've got to go online because I don't have a Bible. So I I type it in and there, you know, there's Genesis. I'm reading 
and I notice on the side of the screen there's documentaries and articles and all this related material around Genesis and the Bible and Christianity. And I'm watching and I'm reading, and I come back the next night. I'm watching and reading, and I come back the next night. And my hunger is really increasing at this point. And this becomes a nightly and sometimes daily thing for me. And somewhere in there, one night I'm sitting there, and it just all becomes real to me. God, the Bible, Jesus, everything became truth to me in an instant. It was like it was compressed into my being. And I remember sitting there, and... It's like the next thought that comes across my mind is, what are you going to do about it? And before I can even digest that thought, the next thought that comes into my mind is, you know, what have you done? And that is a hard thing. I mean, the weight of that was just bearing down. And when God showed me who I was and what I'd become, I was broken. It's during that time that you and your fiancé start attending church and you're listening to some messages on the book of Ephesians about taking off that old and putting on the new. I don't want to do that anymore. And you go home after hearing one of those messages and tell us what you did. Yeah, I mean, that particular message, it was like I was being spoken to. And it was all, it was everything that I needed to hear. And I just walked out of there just charged up full of hope. It's a good thing you guys don't do altar calls or I'd have ran somebody over. <laughs> you know, so, but I, I got home and I had to, uh, I went online and printed off a salvation prayer because I couldn't remember, you know, what to say. And I went upstairs in my bedroom and, and got on my knees and prayed it and prayed it a few times. And I prayed, I prayed that prayer every day for a week. And I think I just wanted to make sure it took. Just make sure it took. Right. That's right. And that's how I came to Christ. Praise the Lord. Brian, how, how did it look for you? Because I know it was similar, but, but it was also very unique. Yeah, it was it was similar. Um, I, I I grew up in the church, you know, like Brian, and I've always found myself running from God, just going the opposite direction, um, more about the kingdom of Brian than, than anything else. How I came to the Lord is somewhat tragic, but somewhat amazing at the same time. You know, I had some struggles. Lori and I were having a hard time in our marriage, and uh, she had discovered that that I was looking at some pornographic websites. And that really devastated her. We tried to talk about it one day. Seeing her hurt and watching her cry and put her face in her hands really impacted me. really broke my heart. And I went out to my shed, you know, my shed full of stuff, and went to go smoke and to pacify my brain on nicotine. Um, I went out and I just cried out to the Lord that, you know, I asked him to take me out of this world, basically, to end me. Just, I didn't want to exist. I didn't want to hurt my wife, and I didn't want to do that to her. So, uh, got some counseling, found a Christian counselor. Through that, through counseling, I really found the importance of relationship. Really learned that, you know, relationship is valuable. And uh, our counselor asked if we went to church, you know, and we said, no, we weren't going to church. She said, go to church. And so we started attending church, and uh, during one of the services, that's when I committed myself to Christ. I, I remember uh, having an epiphany. You know, you can't have a relationship with someone unless you invest the time in it. And I closed my eyes and said, I commit to having a relationship with you, Jesus. So that was the day I gave my, myself to the Lord. And, 
my life hasn't been the same since. And, and so following Jesus doesn't make life perfect or doesn't fix all of our problems, but something does happen. And our lives do change when we follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. He rearranges the furniture uh, in our lives. And so how has your life changed? Oh, wow. I mean, you know, last year at this time on Easter, I was bar hopping. And that was my usual Sunday. You know, and, and by the grace of God, I'm here with you two now. You know, so it's changed a lot. Uh, I still have ups and downs, but there's a lot more ups. And my priorities have definitely changed. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better father. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Live a fulfilled life. You know, one of the biggest things for me that Jesus offers is that I no longer have to be controlled by my circumstances. And a, a scripture that I've really held on to, 46, Psalm 46.10, says, Be still and know that I am God. And just knowing that he's in control and that I'm in the palm of his hand and that I can rest in that is uh, so comforting and, and such an awesome thing. Brian, what, what's changed in your life? It's really what hasn't changed in my <laughs> life. Um, you know, I used to make fun of the words born again. And, uh, you know, I no longer make fun of those words. I, I have absolutely been born again. And God has really changed me as a person mentally, spiritually. Um, I no longer find satisfaction in, in the things that I used to buy, you know, the shed full of stuff. Um, he has really mended me spiritually and he's mended my relationships. You know, my wife and I are happy and we're in love. Um, I've been redeemed and he ended you. He did. That day he absolutely did. Yeah. The day I cried out to him, he ended me. And, yeah. And I no longer worship the kingdom of Brian, but I worship the kingdom of God. Amen to that. I never finished the story. The rest of John 4 tells us that the woman received that living water and she couldn't contain it, so she went back to town and invited everybody else, these people she had avoided her whole life, to come and meet the one. If you'd like to hear more about that offer, if you are hearing his invitation this morning, there will be many people up front who would love to talk to you about that, pray with you. Nobody will be in your way as you make your way down, as Brian joked on that video. For the rest of you, as you go this morning, we'll say it again. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Go in his joy. God bless you.